Hi, and welcome to FitSpeak. This is program number 107. A bit of a different sound to this one. Decided to shake things up a little bit and tell you about our newest team member, and that is Calgary's Matt Campbell. He's our web and multimedia guru, and he'll be helping us expand the reach of the show. So before we get things going, he wanted me to do this. FitSpeak the podcast is available on Podbean. SoundCloud, our website, which is fitspeak.com, and we are soon to be coming to those other big-name podcast platforms that I don't know a hell of a lot about. Bonus, we're also alive and back and kicking it on Instagram. Kevin Watt and myself will be serving up a regular dish of motivation and inspiration through that picture-sharing platform. Check it out. Tell us what you think. We are at FitSpeak. And for that 35 to 65 demographic, hey, how old are you? We are Facebook friendly. We are seeking listener engagement. We've got some easy to digest content that's not going to take you even 20 seconds to read. And it is original, not some crap out of East Germany. You can find us at FitSpeak when you do use that Facebook app on your phone, laptop, tablet, or Etch-a-Sketch. As always, Fitspeak brought to you by Wenting Cycling Mission. And like always, here's your Wenting's word of the week. It is randonneer. Special meaning for this week. Mention that word to Bruce or any one of the staff members at Wenting and you'll win a prize. It's just that easy. Once again, your Wenting's word of the week is randonneer. And yes, we're also brought to you by TriJoy, the spirit of multi-sport. We are your Fraser Valley-based multi-sport coaching connection. If you're new to the sport and want to get better, or you're fast and want to get faster, our experienced and low client-to-coach ratio will help you take a great leap forward to your path of awesomeness. It is TriJoy, the spirit of multi-sport. See our link at the bottom of this page. And if you're not there, go to it. It's fitspeak.com. Um, way back in about 2017 when FitSpeak was just a baby, um, this is going to be part of FitSpeak 108, but on FitSpeak 10, we had an uh, interview with one of our very first guys, an inspirational guy, a guy who's went through a lot, a guy who's produced the goods in all sorts of races, whether that's multi-sport or cycling or running. Um, welcome back to FitSpeak, Craig Premack. I'm happy to be here. Well, you, a lot has happened between uh, our last two interviews. In fact, a lot has happened since the last time both you and I have raced. But uh, one of the big things in your life, I know, is that you have been retired for a few years. So first of all, tell us a little bit about how life is going in retirement for you, Craig. Uh, retirement, well, I guess these things never go exactly as planned. I retired mostly to take care of my, my, my sick wife. And then after two years, last fall, she passed away quite unexpectedly. Mm. So, yeah, my, my plan went from being, you know, very, very busy to not being so, so busy now. Yeah, sorry to hear Basically, that. That was so tragic. Huntington's busy. So here we are in 2020. And I remember talking to you, I think I was uh, just texting you on a Sunday morning 
and we were exchanging, you know, being so younger and more naive at that time, uh, we were exchanging what our race seasons looked like, and we were both pretty excited about coming back to Penticton here in August and doing the Ironman as it returned from Whistler. And I was also looking at your list of other races, which was about as long as the Nile River, and that was crazy long. Um, my goodness. Um, not a lot of racing to do since we both did UBC. What have you been doing to fill your time? I haven't haven't stopped training. I, I I'm training more now than I I probably ever have. Running running a lot. I, I volunteer at a local theater. I'm at the Vagabond Players in New Westminster. I'm the technical director. I'm on the board of directors. That uses quite a bit of time too. Mm -hmm. So, so as a retired guy, and you're simply not just uh, just one of these, um, you know, multi-sport jocks like the host of this podcast. You've got a lot of depth as far as culture goes. Um, when you were in high school, not much of a jock. You were more into the the drama and the theater. Tell us a little bit about that. In high school, I was a musician, and that that time that you're talking about between twenties and thirties, you know, I, I was always always with the band or the music department in some way. I played trumpet, French horn, and I also play, you know, you know, the piano and, and, and things like that. So that, that was, that was my high school time. So how did you make the transition from being mostly uh, a musical guy into this guy who's done so many amazing athletic things over the past, I don't know, 20, 30 years. I, back in the day, when I was in high school, even what all, all through my school years, there was no such thing as a two-car family, and you went everywhere by bicycle. So even though I wasn't competing or anything, I was probably staying pretty fit because every time we wanted to go somewhere, we had to get on our, our bikes and go there. And it was, and in those days, it was the road bikes, and, and I've never really enjoyed any other kind of bike, even though I haven't. Mm-hmm. So in my in my 20s I was still musician playing playing in a punk rock band downtown. Oh really? Playing at the Savoy, playing at the Town Pump. <laughs> Later in the 80s I settled down, got married, had kids. And that's when that was the biggest change because I before we had children I decided to stop smoking so I wouldn't smoke in front of them and I started to gain weight when I quit smoking. Maybe not a lot of weight by people's standards, but I was up, you know, 10 or 15 pounds from what I was normally at. I thought, I'm going to get back on that bike. And that was approximately when I was 30. And then sometime between then and the time I was 40, I rode farther and faster. And sometime I figured out that I was, I was competitive at it. So you were initially doing this just to stay in shape. Were you also commuting back and forth to work? Yes, that's, that started in, in that time. I rode for a couple of years i can't remember how old i was when i started commuting to work but i would have to guess about 35. so a little bit late to the party but then uh, you started getting i guess for lack of a better word uh, a little bit more serious and then you jumped into your first race which involved a couple of climbs i understand yeah it, it, they used to have it an annual race a stage race two stages once up seymour on the first day and cyprus on the second day and and they had a citizen category, and I, I won citizen category both days. The prize was membership in, in a racing club called Part One International. Yeah, I just went from, you know, dreaming about racing to being in a racing club all 
it all happened pretty quick. But there was lots of great mentors in the club. You know, Barb and Larry Zimich at the time, they were, you know, do good on the world scene as masters. And, and they gave me tons of advice. And it Just seemed to tons. pay off. You had went to, I believe it was, Nationals here in Penticton. What year was that? 2004, 2005. It was in, it was in Kamloops. It was in Kamloops. It was, it was really hot. And uh, I remember you saying the kind of course that it was kind of suited you because you're not, uh, you know, you're an average guy, six foot and around 160 or so. And that kind of terrain seemed to suit you as a cyclist and your results were pretty good on that day. Yeah, that had a lot to do with the heat too. Mm. How hot the, was it, Craig? <laughs> 37, okay. 38. Yeah. And yeah, I drank, I, I, it was maybe a 130 kilometer race. I probably drank seven or eight bottles. There was a motorcycle with bottles so you could just grab them. Nice. And I was drinking a lot more than anybody else. I would just drift off the back of the Peloton and, and grab a bottle and down the whole thing and, and then get, get back in there. When it came, you know, it, it was a pretty big bunch at the end. But most of the guys, you know, the guys, the big sprinter guys who are quite big and strong, they mm -hmm. were either didn't make it up the hill or they were cramping bad they would stood up to sprint and, and they would just you know their legs mm -hmm. just start shaking from the from the heat Olaf Stana was off the front and I led out the sprint you know with two three hundred meters to go and got passed by one guy so I I got third nationally and I was yeah I was shocked I, I literally was was in tears driving home from that my night. goodness I it. and how old one of the comments I'm sorry how old were you at the time it, it was Master B, so that if for cycling, it's it's ten year age groups. Master B was forty to forty nine, and I would have been forty four, forty five. So probably the biggest athletic achievement in your life to that point was on that day. Oh, definitely, definitely. I, I one of the commissaires came up to me before the race, which actually helped me quite a bit because she said to me, uh, "When I, you know, when it, when you show them your license and you sign in." She said, uh, I, I'm not sure if you should be here. This is like the best in the country. This is the elite athletes from every province. And at the time I had a Cat 3 racing license or something. And mm -hmm. she says, yeah, I don't know if this is such a good call. And I was so mad that it, mm. it, it almost, you know, when somebody says you can't do it, that's mm -hmm. like the best thing for them to say. To uh -huh. uh, it sounds like you had a lot of people annoying you because you've had a lot of amazing accomplishments over the years. <laughs> So starting off as a guy who just rode to work, stopped smoking for your kids, and uh, are they are they still non-smokers? Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> well, you say that so none. Well, actually, my son's. What's his name? Hi, Paul. It's Kevin from Fitzgeek here. Hey, how's it going? It's going okay. I was just asking your dad a question about you kids. Uh, he said that <laughs> way back in the day, when you were just uh, a little one, that he stopped smoking for your sake and for, for the rest of your family's sake. And I was asking him if uh, you guys continued not to smoke as adults. And I would say by the looks of your physique, you're probably a non-smoker. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. I never really got into into smoking. That's for sure. When when I grow up around my dad doing all these crazy Ironmans and six hundreds, and uh, you know that's definitely not really a habit that I grew up uh, picking up. And I think so much of healthy habits, um, you know, it's so easy to to tell someone something, but when you're showing them something, that's so much more meaningful than uh, you know telling someone how to you know how to be healthy and stuff like that and I, that's how 
people learn. They learn these things from their parents. And, uh, and I'm very blessed because my mom was also a marathon runner, too. Wow. So I come from, yeah, so I come from two super fit uh, parents. And even my grandparents were very fit. I mean, my grandpa Fred, my dad's dad, taught me how to do push-ups when I was uh, in about when I was about eleven. No way. <laughs> yeah. So it's kind of you know we've always had fun doing this sort of stuff together. Mm-hmm. But you know we still like to enjoy a beer here and there. We still like to have some fun too. <laughs> so you're in- enjoying a life of fitness and moderation, and you're gonna keep with this for the rest of your life. Yeah, that's the plan. That's for sure. And it sounds like you're uh, planning to make a career of this. What's your uh, university degree in? Uh, well, I have a, a degree from Douglas in okay. physical education and coaching. Mm-hmm. And that certifies me to be a registered kinesiologist. Mm-hmm. And I also have a degree in uh, teaching from SFU and education. So... Yeah, I'll either be working as a personal trainer or at the city and the gym, or I'll be working as a PE teacher. So in one way or another, I'll be teaching others about, uh, you know, the benefits of exercise and stuff like that. And and it's going to be so awesome because, I mean, um, both your dad and myself grew up in the era where the phys ed teacher wasn't necessarily an athlete or certainly not, totally. uh, not an active athlete. You know, th- we'd get these stories back in the day, back in the 1950s or whatever, but you're able to, to relate stories about your own background, being an active person. And then if you want to talk about the importance of long-term physical activity, you can tell firsthand stories about your dad, about how he, uh, yeah. likes to ride bikes and is a totally. very fast half marathon runner. Well, it was great talking with you. I'm glad yeah, that your dad. I'm glad I caught you. Yeah, absolutely. And, and what was your name again? Uh, I'm Kevin. My, Kevin. Kevin. Nice to meet my, you. My I'm students Paul. call me Kevin the teacher, so uh, you can just call me <laughs> Kevin. Okay. Well, I hope I get to meet you in person one day. Kevin. Absolutely. You guys have a nice chat. Thank you so much. <laughs> All right. We'll talk to you guys later. See you next he had nothing but awesome things to say about you, Craig. You, you done well. Yeah, chip off the old block. Although I, I was a, a bit disappointed when he went into uh, bodybuilding over endurance sports. Mind he has y- a, a real gift, gifted VO2 max. Ah, uh, well, you know, when you started, you weren't exactly a spring chicken. So give give your son maybe another 10 or 20 years. And who knows, he might be following your steps and maybe, you know, one-upping you on some of this stuff. Yeah, I, I hope so. So making this transition, fast cyclist uh, came third in the Nationals under some brutal conditions in Kamloops, and then you decided to dabble in running. What was the motivation to do that? I got a pamphlet with, from the UBC duathlon, you know, the UBC triathlon, and, and I was looking at it. They, they were giving it away at the bike stores. I, I think I got it at the Bicicleta, and I thought, I just put it in my pocket and I got home and I was looking at it and I thought, I'm going to give this thing a shot. And that, that was the start of it. So I, I ran for a couple of years. I did a sun run, I think. And then, uh, yeah, UBC, the, the first event I did. And one of the neat things about Craig is I think you've got the, in quotes, Ironman record for all the participants at that UBC duathlon slash triathlon. Now tell us about your streak at that race. It's, it's a lucky one. It's, it, this was the 20th consecutive year I've 
done it and, and you know that I've had injuries and, and, and stuff through the years, but I always managed to be healthy for that one because it's early in the year and there's been some times when it could have been canceled for snow and ice for some of the bad ones and mm-hmm. it, it managed to go for 20 years and yeah, I just, I guess sheer luck is, <laughs> is the biggest, biggest point. Well, had that race been scheduled for say the middle of March, uh, that streak would have ended, right? Yeah, it was literally a week. Yeah, a week, and we would have been we would have been out of luck this year. Mm-hmm. So you say that you have been doing some running, a lot of running for that matter. What what's your motivation to continue to train in all of this? Why don't you just uh, you know kick up the feet, get a six pack every morning, and enjoy the retired life? It, it's just just not in the cards. I I joined a running club about three or four years ago. Just for fun, it was out of one of the Daggerad Brewery, one of the local breweries. That's one of my favorite breweries in the country. The Bernabarian, uh, beautiful beer. Yeah, that's my our post-run beer, but th- that was more about uh, socializing than running. Our runs are, are never, you know, we don't drop anybody and we break into a couple of groups, but it's not competitive in any way. But at that group, I met lots of people who do run seriously. Mm-hmm. And I, I met met one girl there. Me and uh, me, me and Robert were talking, uh, planning our weekend run at Burnaby Lake, and, and she was kind of eavesdropping. And she said, mm-hmm. uh, "Can I run with you guys?" Uh-huh. And we kind of said, "Well, you know, we're going to be running four forty kilometers or something like that." And yeah, mm-hmm. it's probably not the best. And she said, "Oh, that, that's fine." Mm-hmm. And, and we were we were like, "Okay, well, you know, this is what time we're starting." And she was early. And it turns out her name is, is Laura MacGyver, and she was on the Guelph University, the elite team. Uh-huh. And there's only well, there's only eight people on the team, and on mm-hmm. the team was would be like Olympian Rachel Cliff. Oh, wow. And, and so, it, I mean, they, they, they won the national championships at that level, I don't know, uh, like probably 70 or 80% of the years, maybe higher. Uh-huh. And they had the, you know, the same coaching as the national team also coached them. And, and, yeah, and she schooled us, you know. <laughs> and then I started training with her multiple times a week. And she, we, we don't just run. We train. Like, every run has a purpose. And you notice, yeah. like, in the last three, four years, even though I'm getting older, I'm not necessarily getting much slower. You know, you've been not only holding your own as you've, you know, gotten on in years, you've you've been speeding up. So there's obviously some magic going on, whether it's, uh, you know, late blooming genes or what do you think it is, Craig? It, it, it's back to that, that training that I told you. It's, it's, it's not not putting in the garbage miles to, to give yourself injury without really accomplishing anything. Like uh, every week we do a track workout and it's it's a workout. We'll do one kind of tempo intervals, you know, three minutes on, one minute rest kind of thing around the lake, and then a long run. And that's pretty much it. Maybe we'll throw in the Daggerad beer run mm-hmm. on Wednesday night, but that's that's it for the week. And it leaves lots of time for cycling and swimming too for the for the triathlon. I, I don't think you need a lot more than that. The, the, the running, the, the ridiculous amount of miles, I don't know if it's that beneficial. Yeah, when we're looking at your results, I mean, I remember you as a, you know, a 145 half marathoner guy and I know that you did the big Pacific first half back in January when we still were racing. What did you do in that race? I I did uh, I think a 132. Mhm. 
which is very close to my personal best. And I was still over, you know, I'm 60 now. So right. I think my personal best in my late 50s and was be about a 127. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't that far off. But I did have those uh, Nike shoes, those those uh, vapor flies. Yeah, but we talked and you said that was probably <laughs> worth one second per kilometer, if that, right? Or are you holding I don't know. We'll find out. Okay. So we'll, we'll find out when we get back to it. Yeah, whenever whenever that might happen to be. Um, because this is uh, also for Triathlon Magazine Canada, I have to ask, um, so you went from being a cyclist to dabbling in running to starting that long-standing tradition of yours over at UBC. But uh, talk to us about your very first triathlon. What was your motivation to get wet? When you go to the triathlon slash duathlon events, the big, the longest triathlon is always the biggest event of the weekend. And I always wanted to do the, you know, have the whole pie, mm. not just you know, you know, be on be in the big one. I I, I I thought I would never do an Ironman after I did my first triathlon. I did it just for just to see you know if I could do it. I had hardly done any swimming. So what was your first triathlon? It was a, it was a race series that used to be around BC, and the name of the race series was my first triathlon. Right. Yeah. I did it in Parksville. Okay. We we happened to be on Parksville on a family holiday, so it worked out. And, and and I I got first overall. First overall in the the first triathlon. Yeah, that's that's incredible. And for a guy who kind of came to real swimming, I mean, we're both working on real swimming and probably will for the rest of our lives. But to, to capture first place overall in a triathlon, that that's pretty an, an amazing start to the sport. It, it's pretty big, uh, my memory, but it it was a it was bike heavy. You know, the swim was yeah. I can't remember, you know, probably like 400 meters or 500 meters, but it had a really tough bike ride up into the hills behind Parksville there. Uh-huh. And, and I, and it was an out and back. So on the way back, I knew that how far everybody was behind me. I knew that I had it. It was, it was a lot of fun. And of course, after that, then you want to do it for the rest of your life. Yeah. And, and, you know, this year, notwithstanding, you've been, uh, you've been doing it a lot. You went from that, and then, uh, like a lot of us, you decided to try something a little bit longer. And in your case, it's a real fascinating story because of what had happened to you in that uh, Fraser Canyon back in 2014 when you were doing uh, the 600-kilometer Randonneur ride. Tell us a little bit about... Now, this is fascinating, not only that, you know what happened to you, but how you overcame all that and did something that I don't know anybody who's done this. Um, you did the Ironman, which was your very first, which was one of the most difficult Ironman races, Ironman Canada races in, in our history, and that being in Whistler in, I believe it was 2015. And then it was not more than 20 years later, you were lining up uh, 20 years, did I say? Because it's so unfathomable. <laughs> uh, I should have said 20 days later, you were lining up at the starting line for the 1,200-kilometer event, which was from Paris, France, out to the coast, and then back into Paris. But uh, before you did that amazing event, you suffered a major setback. Tell us about that. The 2014 setback? Is this what we're referring to? That's the one. The, the, <laughs> the shot in the arm? Yes. Uh, the randonneurs, their series consists of a 200, 300, 400, and 600 kilometer ride. This, the 600 is, is the pinnacle, and it, it qualifies you to go to the Paris Press Paris. 
So I, when I was on the 600, it, it was called the Cache Creek 600. It went from Vancouver to Cache Creek and back. It's pretty much guaranteed on an event like that, you're going to be riding through the night. You know, mm-hmm. lights and stuff are mandatory on the on Randonneur cycling events. And coming on my way back with 350 kilometers in my legs, one o'clock in the morning, I was uh, shot, attacked with a gun in, in random shooting in, in the middle of the night. Yeah, it was, it was pretty scary. <laughs> I was by myself. But I was going quite fast, too. Uh, 30 kilometers an hour when I got shot. Into the darkness, yeah. Into the darkness. I, I, it was a, a new moon, so it was it was real darkness. Mm. There was just, just, just nothing, nothing lit up. And I, I thought it was kids with, with fireworks, you know, Roman candles. And then all of a sudden, my arm just... Uh, kind of went into pieces and I was like I knew exactly it wasn't like I had to think about what happened it was like geez I, I've just been shot I was really really mad <laughs> I was that was that was like, the initial like, reaction hey yeah it was like yeah I was just thinking you son of a you know like why like I yeah. you know I had a very quiet ride before that I had no problems with drivers or anything everybody seemed pretty polite on the way up yeah. you know it's like the Fraser Canyon's pretty quiet now after they built Coca-Cola yeah Amazingly enough, your initial reaction to being shot in the dark, coming home uh, probably at about one o'clock in the morning was anger, right? You're angry at whatever the hell happened there in the middle of the night. Uh, you obviously didn't uh, make a cause for getting somebody ticked off at you enough to, to be shot at. So how did you handle that? After my arm was shot, my front tire was shot out too. So I, I was having trouble steering. It, all, I just had to get away. I, I rode a, I don't know what I seemed, what I hoped was far enough away. I just assumed it was on, it was on foot. I, I rode two, 300 meters down the road and, and stopped to assess the damage to me. Not so much worried about my bike, but uh, yeah, I, I used a, a pair of cycling tights and uh, managed to just, you know, wrap them around my arm several times and stop the bleeding after i don't know 20 minutes or so people who were also in the event came behind me and uh, I, I told them that you know i've been shot mm-hmm. and and they took it as you know when you're riding through the night and you're very tired you can run out you can bonk and be shot they right. assumed that i mean I was you can bonked, interpret but, that in a couple of ways <laughs> yeah they said they thought i bonked and i said i'm shot and i'm I, and they started laughing and they kept on riding. Oh. And I'm like, <laughs> and I'm like, no, like, like really, like I've been shot. It could, I guess I, by that time I'd calmed down a little bit. Mm. And then their headlights, uh, you know, they, they, they rode over to me and their headlights lit up all the, all the colorful parts. So, right. so they, they, they jumped into action and, and there's no cell, cell service there. So they had to ride back to Spencer's bridge to, to phone the, the ambulance that there was nobody's phone was working at that time the, the cell service was needed there you were and you eventually and there, did get some yeah. help you were transported i believe it was to the hospital in ashcroft in, in ashcroft that's right and that's where and your um your transformation began i mean from being a, a you know a victim of some senseless has that ever been solved or figured out craig I mean, they can't tell me what they're doing. Okay. Like the RCMP. Like, like they're, they're not going to... It's not a thing where they would phone you up and say, well, you know, we've got this, we've got that. I mean, mm. they basically don't tell you a word until they have mm. an arrest. It, it, it's not like I'm a part of the loop or anything. Right, okay. You know, it, it's just not something they, 
they share with me. Mm-hmm. After getting patched up and uh, a few surgeries done, I take it. I uh, just 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 one surgery. It, it, the bone was impacted so hard that it literally turned like it shattered. It was like a, it looked like like a guy showed me on the X-ray. The doctor he said it looks like it, it's like a a bucket of sand. He's, he, he said that. He, he said it'll, it'll it'll go back into one piece, and it did fairly quickly. In, in, as far as I'm concerned, mm-hmm. so they just put a plate in to hold it together, and yeah, that that, that was it, the one surgery. I got good time, you know, like the, I got it. The the the, the, doc, the surgeon that did it, he mm-hmm. he did it as kind of like a demonstration to his class. Oh, so there was a bunch of students there when, when I had it done, and he did it. You know, I was like first on the table on on Monday morning after mm-hmm. this thing was over. So I got, I think I got really, really good, you know, care. Mm-hmm. I was really happy with the care. So top-notch service. And how long was it? Because you're a guy like the Energizer Bunny. Uh, you can't stay down for too long. How long was it before you were you were back on the bike? The Tour de France was on TV at the time, so I put a, a TV outside. And I put my bike on the trainer after I had two weeks where I wasn't allowed to do anything. Mm-hmm. Not even the gross grind, the doctor said. No, not he took even. Me as- <laughs> he, he took me aside and he said, he says, you're just the type that's going to screw this up. Yeah. He said, now we've, we've done a really good job on your arm. Now mm-hmm. you got to have, I can't remember what it was, but it was like three or four weeks of nothing. And he mm-hmm. says, and I mean it. And then after that time was over, I, I watched the Tour de France. And some of the stages were pretty long on TV. You know, they're four or five hours to watch on TV. And I would just sit out with my arm in a sling hanging off the roof of the garage, just uh, riding along with the, mm-hmm. with the Tour de France. And if they were on a mountain stage, I would put a block of wood under the front wheel and, and go up the mountain with them. Wow. And so, 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 I, so I, I stayed fit. I was able to do the, because I needed to do that 600 to qualify for Paris. So there was another 600 about two months later that I did. So two months later, I did another, I did, I did a different 600, one that went up to Merritt in Princeton. So you qualified for the Paris Brest Paris. Now, one of the things that makes, like I was saying a little bit earlier, this crazy year of 2015 so interesting, um, that part about Paris Brest Paris, um, you qualified for, and that's a race that only happens, what is it, once every four years? But yeah, Craig, so, why, yeah. why did you have to schedule an Ironman in all of this? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how that's a... When you're fit, you're fit. It probably wasn't 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 the best thing, but uh, I, I, I you don't I don't like to put off stuff. <laughs> well, I mean, it, 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 it goes back to most of the time you don't regret the things you do. You you regret the things that you didn't do. Mm-hmm. You know, like you know, like like oh, geez, I you know, I wish I, I wish I would have done that race. So yeah, I'm actually pretty fit. And, and I mean, not just racing. There are lots of facets of your life, right? And so yeah, I, yeah, I just. Just don't put things off. If I and some of the stories you could tell at the starting line. Well, you know, you're starting the swim at the Ironman, and you're saying, "Oh, yeah, well, this is just a, a training ride for you know Paris, Paris, Paris." It's like uh, this is you know, while the other person's invested, you know, the last twenty years of their life, and this is their big thing. And well, I mean, it's certainly a big thing because your first Ironman always is. But you had uh, you had something else to focus on. Um, that must have been a pretty amazing uh, time in your life. Yeah, yeah, it was. I, I didn't focus on the uh, for Paris, Brest, Paris that much. Aside from the logistics, you know, getting you know where I'm going to stay in the airfare and all that. I, I didn't think that much about it. I, I totally focused on Ironman. I, I knew if I was going to get into trouble, it would be in Ironman. Paris, Brest, Paris. I I had a good idea as long as I, I kept it together and 
I, I would make it through, but <laughs> easier said than done for a 1200 kilometer event. Yeah, nothing, nothing the easy way. And that day that you had done the 2015 Ironman was, uh, like we were saying a little bit earlier, probably some of the roughest conditions we've ever had. And when you were coming out of the water, you're probably like a 120 or a 130 guy. There's a lot of bikes already out on the bike course and you get into transition and you think it's kind of cold out. So how did you deal with that? I, I knew I wasn't going to be competitive. So I wasn't too worried about my time. I, I got into transition and, and I dressed like I was like I was going to work. You know, like I was commuting in Vancouver in the pouring rain. I mean, I don't know, I can't remember the temperature, but but it was, I doubt if it was 10 degrees and it was just, just bucketing rain. And I, I put on my booties and my pants and a rain jacket and gloves. Just, yeah, I, I totally suited up. Mm -hmm. I w the initial descent that went from Elks Lake down to Callahan Valley, I can't remember, 10 or 15 kilometers downhill. Yeah. I, I, took, I took the right-hander up to Cal Callahan Valley. And they had two school buses were there filling up people who DNF'd. Like in, in the first in the first 10 kilometers of the ride, people were, were DNFing. And, and they weren't saying to themselves, oh, I can't do this. They, you know, the, the guys who, who were still in their tri-suits, mm -hmm. they, were, they were hypothermic. Like I, I talked to one guy at the next year's event and, and he said, yeah, I didn't decide you know oh, i'm gonna bail this this is this is not fun he said he couldn't even steer the bike he, he had hypothermia he was shaking so badly and, and and it was just no question he just had to stop it looked like a war zone there was all the people with the emergency blankets and and their their expensive bikes stacked up like yeah. firewood and, yeah. and loading them all onto buses it, it was it was an amazing sight and then and, and and i was i was comfortable so yeah i knew i knew i was going to get through it so all those hard miles or wise miles you had dialed in your nutrition you were sensible about it you just wanted to get you know get the first iron man under your belt and maybe go a little bit faster the next time around but you you made that you got through paris breast paris successfully but of all the stuff you, that you've been doing and i should you know stop right there and say so far because you've got a long road ahead of you what's been the toughest event that you've done easily Paris rest Paris it's like it's probably as much calories as five Ironmans it's just it took me I think 76 hours or something like that and, so, and, and, and it's challenging because you, yeah, you, you, you don't sleep much some people don't sleep at all some people can ride for the whole four days and just just have have caffeine and, and stuff like that doing stuff that I never thought I would do I was hallucinating at night oh. I, I I, I I just co couldn't believe how how I was mentally falling apart that I it, it's not even really had that problem before. Mm -hmm. So it it, it it it's tough. I mean I mean the physical stuff you just you know you just keep eating and turning your feet around. But when yeah. your your brain starts telling you like all those little French towns look the same and you think uh -huh. oh my god I've been going in circles you know oh. and, and, and every, everything just keeps it's like in like an episode of the Twilight Zone from the olden days where everything just keeps happening over and over. But uh, yeah, I just kept 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 moving forward, and it, yeah, it it was just hard to to a level that I just can't explain. Um, well, maybe try. So you said it's hard and it's mentally, but obviously you got through it, and you were certainly not one of the last finishers. So what sorts of uh, you know Jedi mind tricks did you use when you were fighting demons or ghosts out there in France? Nutrition. Yeah, I I. I 
when I'm doing something like that, any of the events that are longer than 10 or 12 hours, I, I, I have a, I have a schedule in my head and every time the clock's on zero or 30, like every half an hour, mm-hmm. I have something. So, so to get through it, it was like, just, just keep eating and keep moving forward. Just, just keep moving forward. So just keep ugly, eating. plain, run-of-the-mill, working man tenacity got you through that, along with some sensible eating. You don't store enough calories to go for four days. That's it's, right. It's, 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 it's all about the, the nutrition. Well, having done all the crazy things that you've done, um, what's in your horizon? Is there any event that you would you know, still like to do? Do you have any unfinished business? What's, what's, what's keeping you motivated other than the sheer joy and all the health benefits that we get from doing this swimming, biking, running, and whatever else? I think that, I don't know, it's just fun. And, and, and there's lots of people who, who you inspire without realizing it. People in my running club who are like, I'm going to try a triathlon, mm. you know, and I've, I've started swimming. That's a lot of fun. I, destination events, I don't know. I, I would like to maybe do the original marathon. Mm, in Greece, I, yes. I, I'm not, I, the, the, you know, the one that's actually in marathon, mm. the one that Pheidippides did in 500 BC or whatever it was. That that would be on the list. Forerunners, a running, local running store, they did a, a destination trip to do that marathon a couple of years ago, and people were telling about, you know, about it and, and I got really jealous, mm. and I thought, "Geez, that that could be on the bucket list." That you've had a few years to to digest all the stuff that happened to you there in the Fraser Canyon. Um, how did the shooting impact you over the long term, Craig? Um, I think I came out of it pretty good. I so I had my a meeting with uh, my doctor, who's also a cyclist, and he he's really helped me through through a lot lots of things. Uh, when I was shot, he saw it on the news, and mm. he phoned me phoned me at home that night, and and said, uh, "Hey, look, if there's anything I can do for you, you know, he he he's just just always been there and, and really supportive, and he he's a bike rider as well. Mm-hmm. So maybe two three months after the event, he said, you know, we 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 really got to look at the, the the mental part of this, and and he talked about the post traumatic uh, stress syndrome. Uh huh. And, and he's, he said that, you know, that he, he gave me a list of things that, it, you know, of problems sleeping and, and, and numerous other things. And he says, I, he says, I think you're okay. Just keep to just keep doing what you're doing and, and you, you'll be fine. He says, I don't really see any problem. And we might as well not look too hard to find one if you're, right, yeah. if you're still doing okay. I mean, I, by that time, I don't know, like four or five months I was back, back at work and mm-hmm. everything was good and. I, I was lucky, lucky to make it through with, I hopefully not, not that much men. And and the fact that you did get on the bike is you know with within reason of course. Uh, you were back on the bike and you were training, and not that much longer after that you were back racing. You qualified for the event that you uh, had not been able to finish there in the Fraser Canyon, so that was a success story. Um, here's here's a tough question for you, Craig. What question should I ask you that you've never been asked? It's funny because, you know, after you've been at it for 20 years, I mean, people have asked me, like guys who I work with said, well, what do you think about when you go out for a six-hour bike ride? What do you think about? Like, like you know, they need the TV in front of them or something. They, they're just like, I don't get it. So I, I've been asked so many questions. I, I haven't been asked about my, my, my family, maybe, the support of my wife. was. She's gone now, but she was mm-hmm. just unbelievably supportive. Like no matter what race I did or where it was, 
her and the kids would be at the finish line, even from, you know, the very first events I did would be like the uh, Cascade Bicycle Club, the ride from Seattle to Vancouver or the STP, the Seattle to Portland. Mm -hmm. Those events, they they were always, always there for me at the, at the finish line. And, you know, my son would be four and my daughter would be one or something like that. And they'd, they'd be there mm -hmm. waiting. So, yeah, maybe maybe nobody's asked me how supportive they were. And I just have to say 110%. And it makes such a big difference uh, knowing that you're, you know, obviously you inspired your son there to do amazing things. And um, I think he's got a pretty bright future ahead of him. Good part due to, you know, how your wife and yourself, you know, not only treated him, but set the good example over the years, right? We've done lots of things like that. Like, you know, the sun runs and stuff like that. They're, they're always, they were always family events, no matter what speed we did it. So our, our final question, Craig, I don't think we asked you this one way back when, but uh, since then we've started asking people this question. So Craig, if you could be an animal other than a human being, what animal would you be and tell us why? Oh, I wish you would have given me advance notice on this one. Nobody uh, gets advance notice with this one. <laughs> I, th I think I would like to be a killer whale. An orca. Just Orca, just, just, just for the not, not really because they're they maul seals or anything, but <laughs> I'm sure that the whales are mammals that aren't human, right? mm. and, and that's why it, it would be nothing about you know being a cheetah and going really fast. I think that mm. I think I would take the uh, the intelligence over the over intellect and uh, yeah, obviously a smart and a social animal, and they always look good, right? They're always a well dressed animal. <laughs> yeah, they're wearing a tux all the time. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much for uh, for taking your time on this beautiful uh, afternoon here in BC. Uh, wishing you nothing but the best of success. However, we're going to frame that for the next few weeks or months or whatever that is. And certainly hope to see you uh, back on the starting line of some event in, in the near future, Craig. Uh, thank you very much, Kevin. And it was uh, wonderful to chat again. And we'll see you at the races. I can't wait to be in my age group again. <laughs> and that's it for another edition of FitSpeak, the Fraser Valley's fitness, wellness, and endurance sports podcast. I'd like to thank that multi-talented, multi-sport Bernabarian Craig Premack for being our guest. Join us for program 108 when Mikey Ross is going to be joining us for another one of his top five lists and we'll have one of the fastest females in the country at the Ironman distance on the show. She had a tough break in Kona back in October. We're going to check out how supermom Jen Annett from Penticton is doing. Hell, you don't even have to wait to get your next FitSpeak fix. Our Facebook page is your local go-to spot for information and inspiration. Yes, it's FitSpeak on Facebook. And now, at FitSpeak is our place on the internet where you can see where what we've been up to, what excites us, and for you to share your story and pictures, that's at FitSpeak on Instagram. As always, FitSpeak is brought to you by Wenting Cycling Mission, and like always, here's your Wenting's word of the week. It is randomir. Mention that word to Bruce or any one of the staff members at Wenting's, and you'll win a prize. It's just that easy. Once again, that Wenting's word of the week is randomir. And also brought to you by TriJoy, the spirit of multisport. We are your Fraser Valley-based multisport coaching connection. If you're new to the sport and want to get better, 
Our experience and low client-to-coach ratio will help you take that great leap forward to your path of awesomeness. It's TriJoy, the spirit of multi-sport. See the link at the bottom of this page. For Zach Newfeld, Kevin Watt, and Matt Campbell, I'm Kevin Hines. Thanks for listening.